0: Okay, so good morning. It's good to see a lot of your faces. Doesn't mean it's not good to see some of your faces. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get back here about once a year. We got back here in November for a conference with Travis and the crew and well, it wasn't our whole family so it's good to be family together uh, at the FEC convention. It was good to be uh, family together again, worshiping together without responsibility, very rarely in our almost 21 years of being together, uh, my wife and I, uh, and then the last 14, 15 years of having kids, we very, very rarely go to church function without responsibility, does that make sense, like we don't often just sit, uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean one's better than the other, but uh, very rarely do we sit together. Uh, Very rarely do we sing together outside of up here and I usually don't sing because it's not beneficial to anybody, (laughs) but uh, that Friday night we were all together in a line, you know, and I started watching their hands move and open up before the Lord and tears flow and songs be sung and so I just have to say Friday night was a top 10 kind of moment for me as a dad and a husband to see my kids, all of my kids, because that's not always the case, right? Uh, At least for Friday night, we were all singing together uh, as a little choir, as a little tribe. And so that was super powerful for me to see that um, without telling them to start singing to look good or, you know, stand up, look good. Um, Just to see my, my boys specifically singing, Eden singing next to them and, uh, it's always good to sit between Mandy and Eden because it's like melodies and harmonies are just like going like this between the two of them. So it's a good place for me to be and really pray and kind of shut my mouth. So Maine, four years ago, we left Fort Wayne after about 15 years of ministry, and we went without really a plan. And if you know me, that's fairly par for the course. Um, I, I, um, am made, if I am made to do what I just did on the guitar be passionate, and go all in real fast. That's just how I'm made, and I've tried to put that away for many years, being honest. I've tried to put that pen and that paintbrush away and say, well, maybe there's a different pen and paintbrush I should be using, because this is just obnoxious if you used in the wrong place, but in the right place with the right paint and the right paper uh, and the right brush, it's a beautiful thing, just like any of your gifts, right? So, we went up there. Didn't have much of a plan other than get a job and acclimate and become uh, Maine. Uh, we wore more plaid than we'd ever worn. Some of you guys are doing a really good job of that this morning. Uh, we we got jobs. I got jobs, and um, we started meeting in our home. And things started moving. We met in a nonprofit down in the hood. Uh, that kind of became a little bit weird just because there was a lot of things going on there. A lot of different other meetings going on. They didn't usually. Uh, keep the place very clean. So we'd spend the time clean, uh, lots of recovery, lots of refugees. It was a beautiful time, but we kept having to be rem- like moved for other ministries. So it was hard to build momentum there uh, as a little family. And then we moved to another nonprofit who gave us free space to meet. And when we got there, um, they, f- they told us that they actually didn't have the right um, building permits for us to meet there so all of a sudden this little church is growing people are getting saved and they're like on a thursday you can't meet here sunday so we're like cool ish and stuff and so so then um, a lady that uh lady and her husband that own a preschool behind our house uh, they're like well you can just use our space for free and until you figure it out so it's like five, four rows of this room with kid stuff everywhere. And it's kind of like, this is really cool if you're three. And um, so we met there and we kept kind of growing and then decreasing and growing and decreasing just because the space was different. And we'd be hiking chairs up our, up our yard literally every Sunday morning to go carry a hundred chairs up there, bring them back down, set up the equipment. The two boys got really strong in that season because they're like, they're seeing how many chairs they can put on their head, and so they're huffing chairs up and down the, you know, the backyard. And um, a lot of mornings, that was just our family, huffing stuff up and down. And um, in the midst of all of that, I started working out. And I've, I've told that before, but I hadn't worked out in years. I had sat a lot and drank a lot of coffee and listened to a lot of people's problems and walked with a lot of people and highs and lows, and so I didn't take care of myself very well. So, you know, lots of transition for us as the Wood family. When we get to Maine, our family grows, my responsibilities grow. I'm a normal fella at the time working a regular job, which is a new thing for Eric, Um, and start working out this MMA gym with no real plan other than I'm just going to work out and get thrown around and bust my ribs a few times and look like a fool about every time and We start hanging out, and we start going to fights with people, and, you know, real fights like regulated fights, not in the back alleys fights, and uh, though that probably could have happened a few times, and so we started doing that, and uh, I mean, one instance is is a guy's in a fight, and his arm gets dislocated from his elbow, which is really awkward. Nobody gets excited about that. When your arm flops on a mat like a fish out of the water, and you can't control it, so... Love that visualization. And um, <clears throat> we're in the car, and the owner of the gym and the manager of the gym really don't like God at all. And we're going to the ER in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island, at like midnight. And I'm like, we got to pray. And they're like, literally, silence from one man, and the other one goes, Ugh. like he, his stomach wasn't okay. And so i just like, Jesus, we need you right now. Do something in your name for your glory. Amen. We get to the, we get to the hospital that night, and uh, the doctor comes in and gives him like a baby ibuprofen, you know, for his arm being dislocated. He comes and r- wheels him out, wheels him back in, and says, hey, man, nothing's wrong. Like, it's going to take a couple, you know, days for it to to unswell and to, the bruising to go away, but your, your arm's fine. And everybody kind of just looked at me across the room, and we're like, yeah, cool, Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> and that's continued um, to the point where they were gonna close down the gym to build a multi-million dollar facility 30 minutes away. And me and a couple other guys were like, well, why don't we buy it? It's a nonprofit gym. A whole bunch of people like are trying to get fit and their lives are really messed up. It would be a really sweet place for an underground opportunity for the gospel. Problem we don't have money. Um, and we really don't have any more time. A church shows up, and they're like, hey, we'll give you the money with zero interest. We want to try to help plant churches differently. Here you go. Here's the cash. That was quite a bit of money. And so we started hanging out at the gym. For the next year, end of 2016 through early 2018, uh, there was a boatload of spiritual warfare um, in the church, in the gym, and at work, and all of it was was really aimed at me, and, and I wouldn't say like, uh, I'm a very oblivious to my own failures, my wife and I are pretty good at walking those things out together, but it was legitimately like, I'd walk in the gym, it'd be super heavy, and... Um, the guy that previously owned the gym was still working out there and he wanted to hurt me very badly. I just walk in the gym with a smile on my face. And he's like, blooding his knuckles on the heavy bags in front of me, wanting to hurt me. Before I left, just a few days ago, my friends were reminding me that if given the opportunity, this man would have tried to put me in the hospital because he couldn't handle who I was. So for a year, I didn't want to be in my own gym. It was, it was gnarly. There's been times in the church I didn't want to be in the church here and otherwhere and else places. It's, it's a war, right? And so I say all that to say, uh, two weeks ago, we had a baptism service for the first time. Um, and a woman from, from bus got saved over the last couple of years, and she got baptized. And she like erupted out of the water with joy. And then another buddy who came into the gym in the last year... Who I wrote something on Facebook one day and said, Hey man, if you have any questions for a Christian, and they wouldn't get mad at you at your response. Like they wouldn't yell at you if whatever you could ask, anything you want to ask, but they wouldn't get mad. What would you ask? Private message, Hey man, can you meet me for dinner? I got questions. Turns out his niece died after 35 hours of being born and he could not figure it out. So he's angry at God. So we're sitting there, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Starts showing up at church, starts throwing more up at the gym. We start talking about Jesus. Um, he goes, I need to get baptized, dude. Like, I need, I, I need to stop playing in the shadows with this Jesus thing. Can I get baptized next week? Yeah, you know what that means, right? Like, going forth, going public with this beauty of Christ in you. You're identifying that he's saved you. Do you know what, you, do you know what that means? It's like, I, I, I think so, you know? None of these people have any clue. My friends, nine over nine people out of 10 people, zero conversations about Jesus, zero conversations about church, and zero percent of them are looking for us in a place like this. So I say that to say two things, being missionaries is about adaptation. You've got to become what you've got to become for a people that you want to come to know Jesus. And sometimes what it feels like, and I just want to be really honest before I actually get in the Bible, and I need you to hear this so that you can pray for us, church. Sometimes missionary life feels like you're an undercover cop trying to explain that to your friends. And you come back a little bit more rugged. You come back wearing weird filas and a shirt that everybody's trying to read right now. And, um... You know, like I need you, these tattoos came from hanging out in a tattoo shop and people asking me about the gospel, not because I just was like, I want to paint my skin. So trying to communicate that to people sometimes feels like an undercover cop trying to say, hey, I know I look pretty jacked up. I sound kind of weird. It's a little bit heavy. It's pretty gnarly. The conversations are not about how they're talking because vulgarity is norm up there. Their adjectives are vulgar words. They explain life through vulgarity without trying to be vulgar. So if you're looking to change somebody from the outside rather than the inside, it's going to be a gnarly life. You've got to literally wait for their heart to be impacted by the gospel before you jump. And so here's the beauty of missionary life or undercover life. Jesus will always bring himself up. Always. 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 He'll prompt you, or he's gonna prompt them, and they don't even know they're being prompted. Like, hey man, what in the world is going on with your life? Three three more situations, maybe two. I, I just said three because it's better to say three than two. But in in the last week, one one brother OD'd from our gym. Do you know who all of his friends called? the owner of the gym that's a pastor. Not because I'm anything, but because they don't know what to do. We found him in his apartment this morning. We don't know what to do. I worked out with that guy daily for a while. Number two, a man uh, who is ex-military has started working out at our gym. Guys, there is no, there is no, like, gospel equation outside of the spirit of God moving that we're up to at this gym just like you can be in your normal life okay I, this hope is that I what I'm doing you can do cuz I'm working a normal job it's not a christian gym it's a gym we don't have like verses on the walls like hey come to jesus it's like let's rub shoulders sweat a lot get sometimes hurt and then be at our lowest and our highest and figure it out. So this, this kid comes in. He's got one of the best beards on the planet. A couple of you guys got those. I've been noticing them and covering them. And so this guy walks in. He's been working out and punching and grappling. And find out his dad died at 58 years old. They were at a family party. And he goes, I'm tired. He goes and sits down in his favorite chair. Uh, his wife goes to wake him up. And when she tapped him on the shoulder, he fell face first stone-cold dead. He, who wrestles with PTSD, runs in there and starts giving mouth-to-mouth to his father, wh- whom when he felt him was already cold, and so in his mind, only thing he was doing was trying to, to do something for his family. when he knew that there was no hope, and he walks in the gym uh, five days ago, and he goes, hey man, I'm holding it together. <clears throat> um, we were Mormons, but my dad left the Mormon church and became a Christian. You know the gospel, right? (laughs) I was like, yep. He's like, yeah, my dad, my dad turned to Jesus, you know, away from Mormonism and begins to unload his life and weep and hold it together and all that's going on. And then a guy that uh, fought in the ultimate fighter sits down with me, uh, a real estate guru up in Maine and he sits down, his son's training, and he's like, hey, man, I really love the gym. This place is awesome. He's like, you're doing a good job. I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to keep up, man. He's like, what, you don't do only the gym? I was like, no, from 5 to 1, I'm working at a bus, managing, uh, managing p- bus drivers from 1 to 7 or 8. I'm here, and then from that, I hang out with my family. That's my life. And on the side, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he goes, what? You're a pastor? I was like, yeah, man, I'm a pastor. He's like, brother. What, man? What's up? He's like, I was making fun of God. Had a crazy dream. My wife said that I need to go and and basically go to church and meet Jesus. I go. Jesus meets me down in St. Pete. I get baptized. I start doing Bible studies. I move back up to Maine, but there's no church in Maine, so I don't know what to do. Can I come to church someday? Cool. Yes. You can. Anytime you want. You want to have church right now? I think we are. So, Sometimes it feels like you're undercover to a degree you can't communicate. But the slow process of the gospel wins every time. Don't be in a hurry to change anybody. Jesus, in a hurry, came down to the cross already with joy. Right? So, John chapter 6, my friends. So Jesus, some of the most prolific chapters, chapters 5 through 8 of theology and relationship, living theology in the book of John. Jesus just spent all of chapter 5 showing through the word that he was the great I am, as he says again in chapter 8. He said he's got authority, he can forgive sin, and people were losing their minds, right? Because he was reprogramming uh, the relationship between man and God. These people are following Him because there's miracles happening, people are being healed, lives are being changed, and so whether their, their bellies were being full, or there was power being uh, seen, or words were being proclaimed, these people couldn't help but want a piece of that. So thousands of people are following Jesus as He navigated through His ministry. They couldn't figure Him out, they didn't understand Him, but they wanted something from him and so thousand about five thousand fellas several thousand other individuals are following Jesus he sits everybody down tells the disciples we're gonna feed these cats today they say I don't think we can do that We, we don't have money if we worked several months we couldn't make enough money there's no way we can do this we can't feed these people he's like yo fellas we got this so little boy comes by with a little piece, you know, a few pieces of food, some bread and fish, and he's like, perfect! And everybody's like, I think we should go home now. This guy is out of his mind. Uh, Some fish and some bread isn't going to satisfy the belly of thousands of people. Just like a poor man dying on the cross could never save people. It's not enough. What do you got to do? How do I going to get done? How can I do the right thing? Not the wrong thing. How can I show up to church, tithe my money, be a good person? Maybe then if I do more, I'll get in. He's like, no, we're going to do the impossible. We're going to save people from the inside to the outside through blood and resurrection. So he's painting the story, right? It's a beautiful story. These painting for these people and He feeds them all. They're all satisfied. There are 12 baskets on the back end, available. Their minds were blown. Jesus then runs away because they want to make him king, because they wanted a physical king, not a God king. Right? Sounds like the Old Testament. We need a king. Like everybody else has a king. We need a king. So they put Saul up as a king. Disciples went to go find him. They went on the sea, verse 16, and uh, it got rough that night. Uh, it was a storm. They had rowed, three or four, uh, rowed for three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. That's a normal, everyday scenario, right? Jesus is constantly blowing these disciples' minds. Continuing on. Now they come to him. Again, these people come to Capernaum and they're like, man, tell us about life. Tell us what we got to do. What do we got to believe? How do we got to work? What do you you want from us? Because what you're offering is nothing like these religious cats over here. These spiritualists over here. What, What do we do? What should we do? Your work is to believe, he would say. Verse 29, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Putting God on blast?" Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, give us, sir, give us this bread always. And then he goes, mic drop, I'm the bread of life. Lose their minds, right? What are you saying? You're not bread. You can't give us life. You're not God. You don't have the capacity. And he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Check it. Man, that is such safety in your normal day-to-day life. People will come to God because the Father brings them to himself. That's a beautiful, beautiful truth. takes that weight right off your shoulders that you're trying to like get people in your pocket and bring them to the kingdom with you. How many golden tickets can you pass out? Like You're not that person. God draws people through his spirit, and you get to walk in that. Believe in that. Every person I've tried to force in the kingdom, kingdom has seen me as a Pharisee or Sadducee, not a Jesus follower. Your jobs, your neighborhoods, your families need Jesus followers that, were, that really trust that Jesus can do this. And so, uh, he, he is ripping through the Old Testament, telling them that he is the provider, and he's the power, and he's the presence of God Almighty, and he says, verse 41, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How does he say that I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent them draws them. I'll raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they, were all, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And of the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews lost their mind again. And they disputed among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? If you heard that Jesus is literally going like, "Eh, here's a nice morsel for you today. If that's what you heard, I pray that the Spirit of God would crack your heart. Because that's what they heard. They're like, so hearing his parables and his telling of stories, so literally they could not hear the Spirit of God speak. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, You have no life in you. Again, their their traditions and their understanding of the law was being ravaged. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I uh, live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue, crazy, as he he taught in Capernaum. Now, we're going to hit these last ten verses real quick. Why is it that we always want to eat and drink something and someone other than Jesus? Why do we believe that we could be satisfied with anything or anyone else. I'll tell you, my life, uh, brokenness and bondage and bruises and tatterings are from the... I believed that somewhere inside of myself or somewhere outside of myself, other than Jesus, there is satisfaction. Somewhere along the way, I've consistently believed that. And so, verse 60, when many of the disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? They were like, what in the world? Man, I can't handle this heavy word. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you, do you take offense at this? You're not like this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Like basically, like man, either be offended now or be offended later. You're going to be offended now that I am everlasting life, or you're going to be offended at judgment that I really am everlasting life either way you're you're going to be offended the gospel of jesus is the most offensively beautiful invitation in the universe yes it's offensive jesus is absolutely offensive he comes up and says you're dead no i'm not you don't have the capacity to save yourself yes i do you, you have nothing in of you that can fix this ever. You're dead. You're an enemy. You're damned. You're under wrath. You're in condemnation. There's no hope but the grace of God. So be offended now or be offended later. The most offensive truth in the universe is the most freeing truth in the universe. That is that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. So not only is Jesus, His death and resurrection, where only true life comes from, but number two, it's the Spirit of God abiding in the believer that produces power and presence and fruit and gifts it's the spirit who gives life Ephesians 1 he's our inheritance and our seal of such the flesh is no help at all brothers and sisters how many of you struggle to do the life of Jesus in the flesh anybody anybody believing that your flesh is sufficient your drink is sufficient Sit on that for a second. Just for a second. We're in the West. The West has almost everything that we need while being comfortable without Jesus. We believe that we need this for Jesus, this for community, this for the gospel advancement, this for real worship. We need, we need all of this all the time uh, to do this well. And then you take that into your personal life, you've you got to have this, 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 and this to be able to functionally walk in the news of Jesus. So the flesh is no help at all. Brothers and sisters, I can say this. I struggle with doing ministry in the flesh, doing marriage in the flesh, doing parenting in the flesh, and doing life in the flesh. 27, 28 years old, I remember God just cracking me. When are you going to be done working in the flesh and start functioning in grace? I don't know. When do you want me to be done? (laughs) Closing up here. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, and who it would be to betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it's granted to him by the Father, three times. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. There's a lot of reasons that people stop walking with each other, but may it never be. My friends, may it never be that we are happy that people aren't walking with Jesus. That we're content with people not walking with Jesus. There is a world out there that is absolutely crushed and overwhelmed by life there are many many people and i think maybe checking with our hearts right now that are content in tradition content in law content in strength content in flesh and have merely wandered away from simply following jesus in grace and truth by the spirit of god but take hope jesus isn't finished He's not finished. Uh, My life of ministry is full of flesh. Not because I thought I was, but because I'm flesh. That's it. Not because I'm like, yes, I want to function in the flesh today. Not at all. But because I'm foolish and I'm naive and I'm convinced of my own ways. And so many of these people who had seen him feed. We're like, oh man, he wants more than he wants to be more than our provider. <laughs> I'm out. Uh, they'd seen the healings. They'd seen his kingship on display. And they're like, he, he wants more than being our earthly king. He wants to be our eternal king. I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. He's not giving me what I want. He's not going to become what I want. I don't want it. So he asked. Verse 66. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Your answer might be, yeah, today. Like, I kind of do. This is hard stuff. The current of culture is easy, though costing much. Correct? Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay, takes more than you were willing to give, but it It feels so good in the moment. It's like basking in a great ocean until you find out that you drown. And so Jesus says, hey, you guys want to go home? You guys can go home too. If there's anything that you take away from today, it's what Jesus and Peter exchanged right here. After seeing him provide, after seeing his power, after experiencing his presence when asked if they could go and they should go, if they wanted to go away, Peter says, Lord, Lord who to whom shall we go? Like, well, where else? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, did I not choose you, 12? Now, there's a lot to dissect in here isn't like a simple throw a passage at you day, but I would say this. As Highland Gospel moves forward, as Neighbors Church moves forward, as we move forward as individual people, as we move forward as families, there's going to be a lot of questions. Hey, do you just want to go? Just want to move on from Jesus? And I would encourage you to find Jesus so satisfying that no matter what comes in you what comes around you what situations may uh hit you that you could say like we don't have anywhere to go we don't have houses or cars or stuff or money we we don't have uh, other beliefs anymore we don't have anyone that can give us everlasting life we don't want have anyone that can get everlasting bread or everlasting drink we have nowhere else to go we need you jesus church in maine or in indiana The one truth that remains that keeps us tied together is we desperately need Jesus really bad. We don't need a new gimmick. We don't need a new Eric Wood or another this or that. We don't need any of that. What we need is Jesus to to drastically call us to himself in a way that says there's nowhere else to go, Lord. And I've missed that a boatload of times. Thank you for the birthday card. I'm almost 39 and I'm still missing more than I'm making. I'm still forgetting more than I'm remembering. If you don't know Jesus, my friends, I don't do this very often, but I would just call you to repent and believe that he's your everlasting life. Like, I don't got any jazz. I don't got any uh, song and dance. All I'm telling you is, if you found food somewhere else, you know that it is not working for you. If you found drinks somewhere else, you know that it's not satisfying you. I would tell you, don't take a, a try or a test run with Jesus, but I would tell you, jump in. If His Spirit is calling you, Repent and believe in Him right now. You don't need anybody to do that for you. It's just Jesus. In church, if you've uh, tried to wander away, if I've tried to wander away and find someone or something else other than Jesus to satisfy my soul, may we find that hidden in Him, in His presence is pleasure forevermore. And believe that until we get home when we realize that. Because when we get home, no more questions, my friend, about the, the perfection and beauty and power of Jesus, the worth it of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the work that you're doing in Fort Wayne, around the city, and up in Maine. We pray for your spirit to come uh, in, a, in a powerfully fresh way. Uh, we would pray that we could understand that there is a war out there, and it's not flesh, and the, and the flesh won't help. It's through the spirit, and the spirit will help. So we pray that we put on the armor of Christ, that we would abide in you, Jesus, today, and that we would move in power. We would, um, God, not be uh, uh, prone, or when we are prone, God, to wander, when we're prone to, to get in a ship that's leaking, when we're prone to go find a way to fix ourselves. God, would you remind us and convict us and call us back to yourself? Will we really believe that there's nowhere else to go than Jesus? We pray that, um, Jesus, you would show up in such a way that you would not only transform us, but you would transform those around us. Lord, if you're moving on hearts, I pray that people would have the boldness through your spirit to repent from their sin and their slavery and their deadness and their reproaches against you and fully believe in the risen power of Jesus to save Pray that you would release people from carrying burdens that are are not their own and they would take up the yoke of Jesus and find rest today. And God, that you would minister powerfully in this season at Highland and at Neighbors for your glory. It's your name I pray. Amen.